I don't know about you, but I would say Week 10 in the Big 12 absolutely lived up to the hype. Welcome in. I'm Pete Mundo on Heartland College Sports. It's so good to be here as always as we recap and react to a wild week of football in the Big 12 Conference. We said all week this was the most anticipated week in the Big 12, and there's no doubt it lived up to that and much more. How are you? Welcome in. Uh, We love doing this show, by the way, on Saturday night on YouTube Live on Facebook. You know what to do. Hit the thumbs up on YouTube. As always, we appreciate you doing that. It helps this show more than you realize. And all you got to do is hit that little thumbs up button. Also, subscribe to the channel. That way you never miss a show. Same thing on the podcast. Hit the five-star rating. Review us. We'll get you that Heartland College Sports koozie. When you send me a screenshot of your rating and review to Pete Mundo. M-U-N-D-O at heartlandcollegesports.com. Well, right out of the gates, that's, I love it. King for rest on YouTube. How about them Cowboys, baby? Pistols firing, throw them up. Oh my goodness, what a bedlam. What a bedlam game. And that's where we are going to start this conversation. There's a lot of places we could have started the conversation. But bedlam is the place to go. The final regular season matchup between these two teams for who knows how long. And it's Mike Gundy slaying the Oklahoma Sooners in impressive fashion and winning that game against Oklahoma in front of the home fans, 27-24. to What a game. What a moment. I'm never going to forget it. And I know many of you won't either. Now, this game, obviously, interesting for a lot of reasons. And let me just get this out of the way. Just let's just get it out of the way, okay? Drake Stoops, yes, that was pass interference in the end zone. It was. Should have been a penalty. Absolutely. I'm not going to deny that. I'm not going to tell you otherwise. But like every single football game, it never comes down to one play. It certainly never comes down to one penalty. And that was not the case in this game. Sure, It would have given the Sooners first down, half the distance to the goal based on where they were. I get all of that. And I will give you it that, yes, it was pass interference. But if you think that, well, that meant Oklahoma was going to win the game, that's just not true. And OU had multiple opportunities to win this game. Oklahoma State's offense stalled out in a big way after they got out to an early lead, right? They're up 17-7. to And then the offense just completely falls flat. They have a fumble, punt, turnover on downs, turnover on downs, turnover on downs, interception. I mean, they were dead from middle of the second quarter until they scored that touchdown early in the fourth quarter. The offense for Oklahoma State was doing nothing. And the Sooners did not take advantage when they had the opportunity to step on the Cowboys' throats. They didn't do it. That's why Oklahoma lost this game. Not because of a bad call by an official in the end zone. That's why. And when you look back on this game, it's going to be about missed opportunities for the Sooners. Now, I know, you know, the headlines and social media is going to be all about a singular call by an official or lack thereof, but that's not it. That's just not it. So, yeah, there were a lot of crazy plays in this game, and Oklahoma State had some boneheaded plays that were, you know, 
not going to remember now. We're not going to remember Ollie Gordon's dumb interception. God bless Ollie Gordon, but my goodness, you're running those trick plays, and it's like, dude, just eat it, eat it, eat it. You're throwing it into triple coverage off your left foot. I mean, what was that from Ollie Gordon? Holy cow. But in the end, Oklahoma State had the confidence to do what it needed to do to get the job done. And Alan Bowman played his butt off. He didn't throw a touchdown, but of course, he rushed for the go-ahead. He was the leader on this team. And you really saw that veteran leadership show up for Oklahoma State through Alan Bowman. Alan Bowman all afternoon looked for a guy, looked like a guy who was built for this moment. He was ready for this. And this is a guy who just stepped, you know, in Stillwater uh, several months ago. Of course, he had been there from his time at Texas Tech, but in terms of leading this team, he didn't know anything about Oklahoma State till he got there. And he gets there, and it's obviously a topsy-turvy first few weeks, but man, he looked like he was ready for this game. He was confident. He led the way. Rashad Owens, Brennan Presley had outstanding games. All in all, Oklahoma State just, it seemed like, wanted it more. And I told you uh, going into this game, one of the reasons I liked the Cowboys to cover the spread was because they've been doing a great job protecting the quarterback. They'd only given up two sacks in five conference games. What did they do again? Zero sacks given up today. Oklahoma, that prides itself on that front seven, was not spending a lot of time in the Cowboys' backfield. The Sooners only had three tackles for loss and zero sacks in this game. That was not the front seven performance that Brent Venables wanted to have or thought he was going to have. What else did I tell you this game would come down to? What was another reason if you watched our pre-show and my picks, and by the way, my picks went two and one against the spread. So that means I'm now um, 17, eight and one on the season. That's pretty damn good. I gave you today Oklahoma State plus six. I gave you Kansas State plus three and a half. And I gave you UCF minus three and a half. I lost the UCF game, but I went two and one. But what else did I say would come back to bite OU? Penalties. And they had the two big 15-yarders back-to-back. Brent Venables had a 15-yarder on that drive. He had a penalty. And that was boneheaded in and of itself. I mean, it was just crazy. And that brings us to the coaching staff. Everybody, it seems like, in Norman wants to ride on Jeff Levy. Jeff Levy didn't lose him this game. There were drop passes on that last play, on that fourth and uh, four, whatever it was, fourth and five on the final drive for OU. They go out to Drake Stoops in the flat. And Drake Stoops, he cuts the route off a yard short of the first down marker. I mean, Drake Stoops is great, but that's kind of on him. Right? I don't think the call, the play call is, you know, running an out route one and a half yards shy of the first down marker. I'm pretty sure that's not what was drawn up. It seemed like he thought he might be able to get the corner after making the catch, but it was great defense by Oklahoma State. So this is not a game on Jeff Lebby. They took shots down the field. They did. Now, middle of the game, you want to say there should have been more? Fine. Okay, I'll give you that. But I can't pin this one on Jeff Levy. I just can't do it, and I'm not going to do it. But what a win. What a game for Oklahoma State as the Cowboys, 
who lost to South Alabama, enter the final three weeks tied for first place in the Big 12 Conference. What is going on in this league? I have absolutely no idea. Holy cow. All right, next up, uh, we got to talk about Texas beating Kansas State 33-30 in overtime. Let's get to that game, and let's get right to the end of the game. All right, let's go to the end of the game, Kansas State losing to uh, Texas. I was watching the game, obviously, live, and I'm sitting there, and I'm yelling at the TV. I'm saying, kick the field goal, kick the field goal, kick the field goal, Chris Kleiman to tie the game, to force a second overtime. Now, Chris Kleiman said after the game, no regrets, he would have done it again. I don't know why. I don't get it. I understand you're on the road, you go for the win. But Kansas State had complete control of this game. Remember, they were down 27-7 to at one point. They come back, they force overtime after going on a 23-3 to run. Here are the last few drives for Texas. All right, these are the last five drives for Texas. Field goal, I'll do them um, starting early on. Here, here's the drives. All right, ready? Interception, fumble, field goal, punt, field goal. Those are the last five drives for Texas. Meantime, you want to go to Kansas State's last five drives? Let's do it. Touchdown, 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 missed field goal, field goal. You have got complete momentum. You have Malik Murphy with quick feet. He's lost his confidence from the first half. He doesn't know where he's going with the ball. He's throwing the ball behind receivers. You have control of the game. If I'm Chris Kleiman in that spot, I have no problem playing out more overtimes because I think eventually... I'm going to be able to score, and I'm going to be able, most importantly, to stop Malik Murphy and stop this offense that had nothing going, especially after the third quarter. I mean, really, the final quarter and a half, Texas wasn't doing anything on the offensive side of the ball. So I didn't get that. I mean, listen, Chris Kleiman's a great coach. I'm rarely going to question him, but I'm sitting there watching that saying, kick it. Kick it, kick it, kick the ball. You have got Malik Murphy on the ropes. Now, that being said, Colin Klein, we got to talk Colin Klein. The Kansas State offensive coordinator had himself a bad game. I mean, he was so conservative throughout that game, it made you want to rip your hair out. Kansas State didn't do anything offensively because they were trying to establish the run between the tackles, which made no sense. The first few drives for Kansas State looked like this. Five plays, eight yards. Six plays, 10 yards. Three plays, minus two yards. Three plays, eight yards. Three plays, minus two yards. Three plays, minus one yard. (sighs) Deep breath. You get the point? How many drives of three and out did Colin Klein need to see before he realized he had to start whipping the ball around the field. He was being way too conservative, way too cautious for far too long. And once he started throwing the ball, suddenly Kansas State, second half, like 300 yards of offense. It's like, dude, that's how this is done. 
That's where the weakness was. You were never going to be a team that was going to beat Texas with that defensive line, with those defensive tackles. That was not going to happen for Kansas State in this game. And it was pretty obvious early on. I mean, it literally looked like Texas had 12 guys in the field to Kansas's 11. Or Kansas had 10 to Texas's 11, however you want to put it. That's how it looked over the weekend in that game on Saturday. So I'm like, what are we doing here? And once they start passing and Howard's getting hot, they're getting comfortable, they're getting confident, suddenly the offense clicks. And uh, if he just started that early, who knows how this game would have played out. Maybe they wouldn't have to overcome a 20-point deficit in this game. The special teams also were a mess. You know, you got the missed extra point, and not really a missed extra point, but more like an early snap from the long snapper. And then, of course, you got the uh, missed field goal late. Now, of course, you know, you got it back after that. But still, it was it was an, a mess on special teams for Kansas State. Now, for Texas, they get the win. Uh, they overcome some underclassmen mistakes. Malik Murphy, of course, had the interception. Jonathan Brooks had the fumble. Two guys who are underclassmen, and they're able to get the victory. And now, of course... They're in first place, tied for first place in the Big 12. They're in a very good spot at 8-1 and overall. They still can make the college football playoff. There's no doubt about that, but they got to win out. And obviously for Texas, you know, they didn't want OU to lose because they want a good loss to Oklahoma. The more Oklahoma loses, the, the worst off it is for Texas going forward. So that is not the situation that the Texas Longhorns wanted around the league. But all in all, a very, very... A solid win for Texas. Now, of course, I got the cover at K-State, plus the 4.5 is what I gave you. It was 3.5 at kickoff. But uh, we're just handing out winners here on Heartland College Sports. I'm Pete Mundo. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for being a part of the show as we roll through our Big 12 Week 10 Reaction Show. Hit that thumbs up on the YouTube uh, channel as we on this page as we get the show rolling and get it underway. And on the podcast, five stars. What do you say? Just do it now while you're still listening. That way it's super, super easy. So easy. All right. So let's just uh, keep rolling here through some of the games. I'm trying to bounce through some of your comments here as best as I can. But um, you guys have a lot of stuff you're popping on YouTube Live right now. So let's, uh, let's keep it rolling. Drew says no one cares about the SEC teams. Hey, man, they're playing the Big 12 teams, and they were the two best games of the weekend. So uh, we're going to talk about them, brother. Sorry, not sorry. Just saying it like it is, all right? So next up, we've got the uh, Kansas-Iowa State game. I thought Kansas was due for a letdown. And what a job by Lance Leipold, man. I mean, what more can you say? Lance Leipold just took Kansas to seven wins in the regular season, something they haven't done since 2008. And he's done it with three games left. I mean, it's unbelievable what Lance Leipold is doing with this program. They're seven and two overall. They're a game back of first place in the Big Twelve at four and two, and they go on the road to Ames at night with Brock Purdy in the house. Brock Purdy in the house, and uh, they get a dominant win. And Jason Bean continues to look more and more comfortable at that quarterback position. I mean, you know, it's it's not like you're saying Jalen who? 
I'm just saying, you got a heck of a backup there. And, and I know some of you get mad at me for calling Jason being a backup because he technically has more career starts than Jalen Daniels, but he's the backup. All right, the dude was not the starter when the year began. Therefore, he's the backup. That's it. So anyway, guy had a good game. Threw for 287 and a touchdown. Had a QBR over 90. Um, you know, didn't need to do a lot with his legs, which I thought was pretty impressive because you know Iowa State is going to be able to stop the run. The problem is Iowa State can't run the ball. I, that, that That's the problem for Iowa State. And you're looking at this game and you're saying to yourself, Kansas, you know, their defense has come along, but Kansas is not the kind of team that should hold anybody at this level to 2.6 yards per carry. And that's exactly what happened to Iowa State on Saturday night at home. And, you know, once again, some of you are bringing up the refs, right, on the um, on the return in particular by Jalen Knoll where he stepped out at the 30 instead of getting down to the 10-yard line. I agree. I think the ref screwed that up. I mean, I didn't see evidence that he was out of bounds at the 30-some-odd-yard line. I thought he should have been inside the 10. Is that the reason they lost? I, you know, I don't point to that just like I'm not pointing to the PI call that wasn't called on Drake Stoops at the end of the OU game. So it, it's, there, there's, it never comes down to just that. It just doesn't. That's not how it works in these games. And for Kansas State, or excuse me, for Kansas in this one, they came in, they had a game plan, and they thought that they could get to Iowa State secondary. And that's exactly what they did. And they spread the ball around as well. And they played mistake-free football. And by the way, they spent a lot of time in the Iowa State backfield with two sacks and seven tackles for loss. So Kansas was the better team. Uh, all in all, they were you know the more efficient team. They were the cleaner team as well for the most part. So you got to like where this Kansas Jayhawks team is at. Four and two in the Big 12, seven and two overall. I mean, they are rolling. And I don't want to get into, you know, future schedules and who's got what left. But, you know, Kansas, you look at this team the rest of the season and 10 and two is not impossible. I'm just going to say that much for Kansas. 10 and two is not impossible. They might very well be favored in every game they have left. Texas Tech, Kansas State, Cincinnati. We'll see about the K-State game. We'll see who's favored there. But either way, I mean, we might be looking at a 10-2 and KU football team. Lance Leipold could be one of the hottest guys on the market. So I'll just put it this way. KU fans, show up. Show up. Keep this guy. He is great for not just your program. He is absolutely outstanding for the Big 12 Conference. And it is incredible what he has done. This turnaround is not getting nearly enough attention. It's wild. So uh, kudos to Kansas getting that win at Iowa State as we uh, roll through our Big 12 Week 10 reaction show here on HeartlandCollegeSports.com. Appreciate you guys being a part of it. So uh, the other games, uh, West Virginia also now sitting at a pretty 4-2 and two in the Big 12 after steamrolling BYU 37-7. Keaton Slovis didn't play for BYU at quarterback, but I'm not sure it mattered at all. West Virginia dominated. 
the Cougars, especially on the ground. So West Virginia came into this game averaging 203 yards uh, on the ground per game. They had 204 in the first half. That's how good West Virginia was. And don't look now, but they are developing a very nice one-two punch at the running back position with uh, Jaheim White and C.J. Donaldson. These two guys have combined for over five, well, let me see, it was uh, 450 yards over the last two games between both of them on the ground. That's how good they've been. It's been a very impressive couple of games for these two running backs uh, for West Virginia. It's UCF and BYU, but still, I mean, you take that and you work it. Plus, you got Garrett Green, who's got wheels at quarterback for you. And West Virginia can go to Norman, and they can win next week. This team, the way it's playing, they can win next week. There's no doubt about it. OU is staring a third straight loss right in the face if this West Virginia team shows up. And Neil Brown is off the hot seat. West Virginia is now bowl eligible. I mean, there's not a lot to say about the game itself. BYU was way overmatched. West Virginia rushed for 336 yards. The defense was outstanding. Three sacks, eight tackles for loss. They were all over the field. But the Mountaineers um, are playing really good football the last couple of weeks. Now, you're always a little nervous when it's against some of the new Big 12 schools because, let's be honest, they've been really bad. But you can only play who's on the schedule, and they have looked much improved after a couple of losses earlier um, in the season. And now the Mountaineers are bowl eligible. Neil Brown's off the hot seat. I mean, barring some kind of collapse the rest of the way, he's probably going to be sitting at 8-4 and four at the worst when all is said and done. OU, Cincinnati, Baylor. I mean, Cincinnati and Baylor are right now the two worst teams in this league. So if you're a West Virginia fan, and we told you 8-4 and four back in August, you'd say, where do I sign? So Neil Brown is coming back in 2024. Uh, that is, as far as I can tell, indisputable at this point. That's not even controversial. He's And, and think about this, too. He's a Hail Mary away, a Hail Mary loss to Houston away from being tied for first place in the Big 12 going into the final three weeks of the season. I know you can't always look at it that way, but I do think nuance matters. And that's the reality right now for West Virginia. That's just, it's damn impressive what they've done. And I cannot wait to see this game play out this weekend um, in Norman. Not to get too far ahead of ourselves, we're reacting to Week 10, but man, it is... It's exciting right now in Morgantown. So if you're a WVU fan and you haven't made the trip yet in the 10-plus years you've been in the Big 12 to, to Norman, try to find a ticket. Not going to be cheap on StubHub, but maybe some OU fans are starting to bail on the team. I don't know. You might find a deal somewhere on StubHub. So see what you can do. All right. Uh, <laughs> oh, boy. Looking at some of your comments here on uh, the show. <laughs> Patrick says, just as long as John Denver isn't flying the team to Denver. Yeah, okay. (laughs) All right, let's continue here on the show. A couple of games that really were at the bottom of the interest level, but we're going to talk about them because we cover the entire league. Uh, Let's start with Houston and Baylor. Game went to overtime. Now, not going to lie, this game was going on on ESPN Plus, right? It's the ESPN Plus game 
while Bedlam's happening. So I got an eye on this game on my phone. But the thing I hate about ESPN Plus, if you might indulge me for a second, what I hate about ESPN Plus and what I hate about all these sports going to different streaming apps now is that, you know, you can't just flip back and forth between games like when it's on uh, linear TV. You got to actually have something dedicated to ESPN Plus. It's not like I'm going to tune in to Houston Baylor on ESPN Plus and then go back to Bedlam. I can't do that without taking out 30 seconds of my time, switching apps, going back and forth and the whole thing. So I'm bouncing around uh, during the 2.30 Central games. I got obviously Bedlam on. Uh, I'm keeping tabs as well. What was the other game on in that time? Uh, There were three games going on. Oh, UCF Cincinnati was going on at that time. We'll get to that game. And then, of course, I got, you know, Houston Baylor on the side. But my first takeaway is Baylor fans have completely bailed on Dave Aranda and this team. And that's sad. There was some video of the stands in Waco on Saturday. My, oh, my. It was embarrassing. Baylor is horrendous. And, uh, Cody, you took the words right out of my mouth there on YouTube. I'm popping up your uh, comment there. Baylor is horrendous. I like it's just indisputable now. I this team is lucky to be three and six. If not for that crazy comeback against UCF, which they had no business really doing, you're sitting there looking at a team that's two and seven. Less than two years removed from winning a Big Twelve title. And then coming up way short of the expectations last year when they were picked to repeat as Big Twelve champs. I mean Houston, Houston's a week removed from losing 41 nothing in Manhattan, for crying out loud. Houston didn't have a drive longer than 31 yards against Kansas State. And what happens? I mean, they're all in the Baylor backfield. The Baylor lines just stink. Baylor is awful in the trenches. They can't get to the quarterback, and they can't protect the quarterback. Blake Shapin is taking beatings left and right. I mean, it is just horrible to watch. And, uh, you know, kudos to Houston. They get it done in OT. Uh, You know, they had a very good first half as well. I mean, you know, Baylor also just, once again, its own worst enemy time and time and time again. The special teams is a mess. You got blocked field goals, uh, you know, missed field goals. It's just like, what is going on there with Dave Aranda? And Mac Rhodes can say all he wants about, you know, standing by his guy. And I'm not suggesting Dave Aranda should be gone or anything like that after this year. But if this year continues to spiral the way that it looks like it's going, they're three and six overall. They're two and four in the league. I don't see a winnable game left on the schedule. Maybe TCU. They got K-State, TCU, West Virginia. And this guy finishes three and nine and two and seven in league play. At the very least, you're going to have conversations, right? At the very least, you're going to wonder what the heck's going on there. Meantime, for Dana Holgerson, uh, boy, did he need that one. It's been a rough week for Dana. You know, he has that tough loss at Texas. They played really good in that game. They kind of got hosed at the end. Then he gets blown out. They didn't even get off the plane in Manhattan last week. And then he has this insane comment during the week about how basically – He's screwed for the class of 2024 on the recruiting front. They're ranked like 96th in FBS in recruiting for the class of 2024. 
And he's like, yeah, well, you know, we're joining the Big 12, and that takes time to ramp it up. It's like, dude, 96th? What are you doing? Now, I know the transfer portal makes it so you're not as, uh, you don't need to rely as much on the transfer portal, but, or on the, you know, recruiting classes. You can use the transfer portal, but man, 96th. So Dana gets a win. Uh, He desperately needed that. And I guess if you're a Houston fan, you can sit there and you can say, hey, we still got a chance to be bowl eligible. We win two of three. And, you know, you're six and six. And by the way, Houston can go to, they can go two and one the rest of the way, win two of three. They got Cincinnati, Oklahoma State, and UCF. They can beat the fellow newcomers. Cincinnati and UCF and Houston's in a bowl game. And you know what? If you told me before the year Houston would get to bowl eligibility, I would have said that's a successful year. So I'll give it to Dana Holgerson. But to me, that game was much more about how bad Baylor is right now and how awful that uh, program appears to be right now. So it's a, it's a bad situation all around. Peter says, I think the uh, possum at the TCU Tech game, had more yards than Baylor. (laughs) Uh, Oh, man, oh, man, that's good. That's good. We'll touch on that one at the end. That was from Thursday night, but we'll touch on it here. Uh, Meantime, uh, the game I haven't mentioned from Saturday, UCF getting its first Big 12 win against Cincinnati. This was the only game I lost against the spread. I gave you uh, three picks. I gave you an underdog. I gave you Oklahoma State plus the six. I nailed that. I gave you K-State plus four and a half. We hit that. And then I gave you UCF minus three and a half. We missed that. So a two and one week against the spread. Uh, that makes us now 15, eight and one on the season against the number. I mean, what is Stanford Steve with ESPN? I think that dude is like eight and 24 now against the spread on college game day. It's like, dude, bring me on board. I'll give you some big 12 picks. I'll make the millions of college game day fans some money. In the meantime, I just got to make the thousands of you that watch this show some money, which I'm fine doing. The pressure builds every week, but that's what I'm here for at heartlandcollegesports.com. By the way, I'm Pete Mundo. We cover the Big 12. If you're just hopping on, throw that thumbs up uh, on the YouTube video, and of course, hit the five star on the podcast. We always appreciate you doing that. So UCF gets its first Big 12 win, two winless teams. Cincinnati covers its first spread for the first time since week two. So if nothing else, congratulations on that, Cincinnati. Uh, But, you know, this game to me was really about UCF doing what I thought it would do in getting its running game going. Now, the problem for UCF is they also can't stop the damn run. (laughs) I mean, frankly, they really can't stop much of anything. Uh, The defense is not any good. But the offense, especially the running game, and R.J. Harvey led the way with a buck 64. The running game was really able to get itself going. Six yards a carry, four rushing touchdowns, and that's why UCF won this game. And I, based on what I saw from Cincinnati's rush defense last week against Oklahoma State when Ollie Gordon lit them up in that second half especially, I thought UCF's going to be able to get the ball going on the ground. And that's exactly, exactly what they were able to do. Um, And you know what else they were able to do? They were able to get to Emory Jones. And ultimately, Emory Jones had one of his better games by his standards, but he is not a Big 12 quarterback. Emory Jones cannot win you games at this level. He just, 
he can't do it. And that was very obvious as you're watching on uh, Saturday afternoon. Uh, he's just, you don't have the guy. So all in all, um, Cincinnati is going to continue to struggle. They're 0-6 in Big 12 play. Uh, you know, they had uh, struggles, of course, stopping the run. And it's one of these games that you watch and you say to yourself, all right, UCF, you feel better about it. You finally get into the wing column after getting close a couple of times against Baylor and Oklahoma. But um, Cincinnati has a long, long ways to go to be competitive in this conference. And I just... (sighs) Colton Boomer, could you give me one of those field goals? I think there was one early in the third quarter that he missed and... Man, that would have given me that three and a half, but uh, it's okay, Colton Boomer. It's all right, my man. It's going to happen. I get it. I get it. UCF gets its victory. And just real quick, back to Thursday night, Texas Tech beats TCU 35-28. to The possum was the most interesting part of that game. <laughs> the possum running on the field. Baron Morton was back. That was obvious uh, for Texas Tech. You know, Josh Hoover didn't have a great game, the TCU quarterback, but I, you know, I like the way he's developed slowly but surely for this team. I think he can play that position at this level in the Big 12. He's got a ways to go, but I came away overall uh, pretty impressed and feeling like they're at least on the right track with him. But there's not much going for either of these teams. They're now both four and five. They each got to win two or three to get the bowl eligibility by the end of the season, and to think that TCU, one year after a national championship, might miss out on a bowl game, uh, and by the way, getting to a national championship, boy, I you know we knew they lost a lot of pieces from last year, but they also brought in a bunch of new faces and and high end talent via the portal, and uh, it's it's not been a good year for Sonny Dykes and this TCU team, going back to what happened on. Uh, Thursday night. I'm Pete Mundo on Heartland College Sports. Uh, Let's see some of the comments here that we've got as I roll through this. Forrest says, as an Oklahoma State fan, I hope we get to face Texas in the Big 12 title game and we send both OU and Texas out the door with losses. That would be fun, Forrest, for you guys. That would be fun. Because right now, when you look at the Big 12 standings, right, you got Texas and Oklahoma State, both 5-1. and one. They are in the driver's seat in the Big 12. And it is crazy. Oklahoma State lost to South Alabama. And they're in the driver's seat for a Big 12 title appearance. And look at the Oklahoma State schedule. They went out. They're in. UCF, Houston, BYU. UCF concerns me a little bit for a letdown game on the road. Just a little bit. I mean, that is a classic letdown spot. You're going up against a team that is 1-5 in in the Big 12. You're coming off one of the biggest wins in program history. You lay an egg. Mike Gundy has got to make sure his guys do not lay an egg. Then you've got Houston on the road. Dana Holgerson, who knows what he's going to whip out of his bag of tricks. He knows Mike Gundy. He knows this league. He knows Oklahoma State. That's going to be fun, although they should win. And then BYU at home. I mean, they'll be favored in all of these games as they should be. But, man, it is shaping up for Oklahoma State to be 8-1 in league play. 
10 and two on the season and heading to a big 12 championship in Arlington. And then Texas sitting there at five and one as well, right? Texas five and one. They've got at TCU at Iowa state and then versus Texas tech on black Friday to wrap up the season. They'll be favored in every game as well, but I'd rather have Oklahoma state schedule, of course, than Texas's schedule because you know these three teams are going to be so juiced for this Texas game. Texas is better than all of them. I'm not saying that's not the case, but you better believe that they are going to get the best shot because these are classic old school Big 12 games. They're not getting the newbies. Those games are over. They're getting the old Big 12 teams, and boy, oh boy, there is going to be a lot of juice in those. So just... Hold on to your hats because this race is going to be fun. And by the way, the teams at four and two are not out of it. And there's five teams at four and two in this conference, Kansas, Oklahoma, Kansas state, West Virginia, Iowa state. It's not likely, but they're not out of it, which is crazy to say, (laughs) just crazy to say, um, I'm Pete Mundo. It's great to be here with you. And obviously the two that are least out of it are, uh, Oklahoma, because they've beaten Texas. And then, of course, Iowa State, because Iowa State has beaten Oklahoma State. So those are the two four and two teams that should feel best about their situations going into the final three weeks. It is going to be an incredible ride. I'm Pete Mundo on Heartland College Sports. Great to have you guys here. Thank you so much for joining us and being a part of it. And um, we're going to be talking to you soon. So make sure you're subscribed to this channel on YouTube. Don't miss an episode. We talk all about the Big 12. And also, uh, of course, if you leave a five-star rating on our podcast, we'll send you a free Heartland College Sports Koozie in the mail. All you got to do is leave that five-star rating and review, subscribe to the show, and uh, send me a screenshot to my email, Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com, and we'll get you all hooked up. It's my way of saying thank you. And don't forget about our message boards on the website. They're free, great way to interact with the staff and other Big 12 fans, and we'll be talking to you there as well. Follow us on Instagram, on Facebook. On Twitter, X, I guess it is now. We are in all those different places. So have a great rest of your weekend and uh, go Big 12. We're going to have an incredible three weeks here on the show and we'll talk to you guys soon. Take care.